You're listening to City Limits on 3CR, 855 AM. The time's 9.03. And that was Blondie with Atomic. And why did I choose that song? Uh, because today we're talking about uranium. I work that way. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Blondie and the, uh, the, tide is, the tide is high. Well, that could also relate to climate change, of course, too. Ah. Uh, could it not? Um, but... Um, but anyway, we are going to, today. It's the sort of day it is, isn't it? It's that day, Corey, and I'm Kevin, and um, this is City Limits, and we are going to be talking to Dave Sweeney about uranium later in the program, and also about Macarthur River. It's something you've looked at pretty closely too, uh, Corey, and uh, we'll discuss that issue uh, with him because I know he's taken an interest in it, even though it's not specifically uranium. It is. It does impact on the local indigenous community in the Northern Territory very heavily. And it's one of, I would say, one of the um, most astounding examples of... Envi- I'll just pour some tea while you're talking about that. ...of uh, environmental corruption that, is, that has ever occurred in Australia. I'm, I'm going to put it out there. It's that bad. Rightio. Well, you, well, you and uh, Dave can, can sort that one out very much and then seen the last bit of the show as well. And in the first bit, we have got a success story, so it's probably good we're going to go to depressing things at the end and keep the mood running for City Limits because yeah. um, we're going to talk about a, a actually a community campaign that has won. We, we've talked in, in the last well, over the last few months periodically about the unelected Brid, Brimbank uh, commissioners Trying to flog off public parkland in the city in sunshine, and um, they they under community under community pressure they were forced to set up a an independent so called independent panel, but it worked out to be independent because last night it recommended it be abandoned, and the commissioners agreed. So we'll talk to uh, Ken Mooney from that campaign shortly, and uh, have a bit of a boast about what community campaigns can do. It's nice to have a win. Oh, don't get too many, but there's one. <laughs> the Upfield Line campaign stuffed up me. I was 42 nil down, and it, we, we won one. I went to 42-1 overnight and <laughs> ruined a perfect record. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that was that. Um, just, I thought I'd raise something. Given that you know, in America we know that guns don't shoot people. It's um, it's it's people who shoot people. Guns have nothing to do with it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact. Uh, I was thinking last week when I think I mentioned it on the week that was in fact that when that bloke uh, shot the the bloke shot the the journalist and the camera person because he was upset with the boss I thought well at least go and shoot the boss or shoot the boardroom but let them realise that guns don't kill people rather than co-workers but a bloke a bloke found a gun a nineteen year old in Texas father of two. Texan, nineteen-year-old father with two. You imagine he's one of the giant minds of this world. And anyway, he um, he found a gun, so he posed for a selfie with it, and um, he um, ended up um, with a bit of a sore throat because he actually shot himself in the throat, and but didn't he didn't feel the pain because he was actually dead. Um, how brilliant! I mean, this is this gun society, and the gun went off and he killed himself. Isn't that isn't that amazing, America? Wow. <laughs> I, I, I always, um, I don't know if you can laugh at this, but you know, every time they have a gun show, you know, the, some poor child gets shot. You think, That's when right. are they going to learn? Oh, at least in that one. Like, you know, don't the, give fucking guns to children. I no, mean, you hardly even give scissors to children. Well, at least that one where the uh, the, the girl practicing with the gun turned and shot the instructor, so she had even it up a bit. At least that was karmic, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> um, but anyway. I mean, we barely, you know. When I was seven, I didn't even have my pen license, you know, let alone anybody giving me guns. No. And no, I still haven't gotten no. my pen license, so I still have to write in pencil. Have you got your gun yet, though? <laughs> 
I did shoot a gun actually um, for the first time this year. Yeah. Well, I remember when we were young and we all thought the revolution was coming next week, we realised we'd be no use because we didn't, didn't have no idea how to fire a gun anyway. <laughs> but anyway, that was that was beside the point. Um, and having thought it, you know, that you know, in the late 60s this was going to happen, we sadly it um, probably we were just out by a little. Um, but um, I just thought a couple of things worth mentioning before we go to Ken about industrial relations because I... The last ALP State Conference here in Melbourne held at Mooney Valley, I happened that day to have lunch with some friends in the pub on the corner. And at lunchtime at the ALP Conference, a lot of delegates came in, including a whole bunch of people from the Rail, Tram and Bus Union, including their their secretary, uh, who was on the previous program, in fact, uh, Luba, uh, Luba Gorovich, and... um, they were all, you know, so much into the ALP, etc. And I thought, well, here's a mob, a union. They go to the conference. They're supporting the ALP. And the first time in 18 years they've taken industrial action. And the Labor government, the Premier and the Minister, came out and, and supported the employer and said they were totally irresponsible. And, in fact, the, the, um, the Andrews government joined the employer in going to court last week to try and have the whole thing called off. So what's the value in going to ALP conferences and being part of the ALP uh, when whenever you take industrial action, they support the boss? Free lunch. Rhetorical question, I would have thought. but uh, I mean, is there a bar tab? Hang on, I'm sipping tea. Um, Well, I I would hope there was a bar tab so you could um, swallow down the hypocrisy of the Labor Party. No, it worked. Drown it. Didn't check the bar tab bit, but I know that on that day, a friend of mine who's constantly broke when I bought the first wine said, thank you, and I'll buy me one and then shout me lunch as well. So it did cost me that day for lunch. But anyway, um, but I'm used to that with this particular person. But speaking of the ALP um, and... um, the ALP and those, you know, it's supporting uh, workers. Martin Ferguson, who's, you know, well known as a great, well, the, the, the opposition, the, the Liberal Party and the National Party and bosses call him a lion of the union movement, a lion of the Labor movement. Um, and if I didn't think I was going to insult kittens, I'd make some comment on that, but I won't. Um, but he's, he, he came out and said he's realised that project costs are too much in the, in the, in the uh, resource industry. And the biggest problem, he said, um, extravagant union demands and stupidity from some of the union movement were partly to blame for projects in the process of being built facing cost blowouts and delays. At the end of the day, which is an old Martin cliche, I tried to send a message to the unions to just be very careful because extracting a premium now might kill investment in the future, etc. So on he goes attacking unions. Isn't that wonderful? What does he see as extravagant, though? Um, probably wages, weekends off, going home at nights, that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I mean, workers want that, and they're, they're crippling work practices in today's world. Um, so there you are. So and they're going for more of a like a dormitory-style sweatshop. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or is that a bit extravagant? You know, well, having to provide the dormitory. Bangladesh. Well, Bangladesh sets the example. It, it provides the dormitory and it even protects them by locking the door and putting bars on the windows so they don't get attacked overnight. Mm, that's Other nice. than if the building falls down or a fire occurs, of course. Yes. Um, and the partner at KEPMG, another lion of the labour movement, Paul Howes 
has also come out and talked about the toxic culture in workplace relations. But he now says he can see that there's two sides to it a bit. He, 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 he's seen the stubbornness and resistance and new ideas that exist within, within the union movement, but he now thinks that management also is a bit stubborn on some things. So good old Paul, isn't that great? Hmm, that's excellent. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad that we can see things from, from the boss's perspectives. Well, yes, and speaking of him and the ex-union and, of course, um, Bill Shorten's ex-union, the AWU, there's been this move by Bluescope saying they've got to cut costs, which includes sacking 500 workers and all sorts of cost reductions, and there was a big no, 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 the union said. Well, the new- latest news is good news. The AWU has hosed down tensions with Bluescope, saying it will support efforts to find $200 million of cost reductions to save the remaining blast furnace, which presumably includes losing 200 members of not all theirs, of course, because other unions are involved, but they, AWU's leading the way as usual. Isn't that wonderful? Yes. I was going to say I don't think the AWU understands its role, but, you know, I guess it really does understand its role as standing between the workers and the bosses. That's right. Preventing, <laughs> hosing down revolution. There it is. And there's a bloke called Matthew Stevens who writes a, three or four times a week, writes a page in the Finn Review and he's, he writes on resources, and he's he's absolutely pro-coal. He hates environmentalists, and he loathes trade unions. Now, if the union, if those workers there had gone out and stopped the mine by taking industrial action, he's he would have been just irate and livid and attacking them. But when the workers, when they want to sack five hundred workers or close it down, he points out what a wonderful company it is and what they're trying to do. A powerful and proud union history and an apparently enduring indifference to the modern commercial irrelevance, that's by unions of course, are the great divides that sit between Port Kembler and some sort of viable future in steelmaking. He points out they talked about the need to get rid of all these workers. And then he says... um, as ever, Port Kembla's main unions, like, I don't think, obviously, probably excludes the AWU here, um, main unions, like unions everywhere, believe they know better than management. They are urging O'Malley, who's the head of it, his board and the nation's governments to consider a familiar and thoroughly discredited option C, which is, um, in fact, putting some sort of... Uh, some sort of um, quota or not quota, some sort of, um, what's it called, levy thing on it. I can't think what they're called now. What are they called again? Tariff. Tariff, that's it, tariff. They've got sort of tariff on it. See, you talked about losing a memory before and uh, <laughs> I just proved it. <laughs> but, but there we are. So um, that's the unions again are all, all terrible and to blame for all this. Um, but just on, and on the same thing, with it's now come out that even though the government denied it, they had advised shipbuilders that they... Under the law, they could change the um, change the flag of convenience situation and bring cheap labour onto the Australian Australian coastline. Um, and the government denied it, but unfortunately, some silly um, bureaucrat at some inquiry admitted they had given that advice to the shipping companies, and uh, it was legal under the new laws the government's bringing in. Now, the bosses aren't attacking that, but they are attacking the fact that that the the new laws also. Uh, jeopardise um, investment because they've, they've said that um, they're danger of losing a bank finance for two cargo ships because the Abbott government now plan to dump the tax incentives and training subsidies introduced in 2013 by Labor. So they're attacking those things where the government actually gives them money, but they're not attacking the bit where they can actually bring in slave labour. So there you are. Well, I think this shows the need for international unionism, which people have been talking about for you know as long as unionism, um, to match the fact that most uh, companies now are multinational. 
Yes, yes. And, you know, the same sort of goes for any sort of uh, form of political power. You know, we're, we're sort of stuck in this, uh, you know, you have political power within your own country, so to speak, but but uh, the real political power is, is multinational organisations and multinational corporations. And so we really need to have both unionism and, you know, uh, regular political processes that are international as well. Well, you probably don't even have power in your own country, do you? Because, well, um, yeah. You, you know, you're, you're, yeah. Always, you're always up against it. But I agree. I mean, the real problem is that in the, under neoliberal capitalism, they regard capital as being without borders. It can go anywhere it likes in the world, but human beings mm. and labour cannot uh, unless they want it to. And when they want it to, they can, it can cross borders, but only in their terms. Uh, but people... Um, people uh, have have national boundaries. Capital doesn't. And mm. that's, that's the way they run their international capital situation. That's it. Mm. The free market. The free market's market. free, but market's not the free. people. Free but capital. Market's free. Everyone's everything's free except the people. Yeah, and but they've got a role to play. They do do a bit of work and do generate a bit of profit. But you know, but, but it's the boys in the boardroom, the boys in the boardroom mostly who um, who you know do the real work. Of course, they mm. sit there and have to think about it. Mm. Yeah. Well, who else is going to sh- sip the champagne? Do you think it's going to sip itself? No, it doesn't sip itself. You've got to go down to the club, have a brandy with the, or a cognac probably and a mm. champagne, mm. a bit of lobster and uh, and discuss the problems of the world and how workers are crippling you. Mm. Yeah. That All sort right. of work is not going to do itself, ever. No. no. And we need a class of people to do it. <laughs> That's right. Well, we should reverse it and send them out. Like they actually call them miners. They call um, Lang, what's Hancock's daughter, whatever her name is, Gina. Gina. Gina, and they call Forrest, and they call all these people, even the idiot in Parliament up there, the Queensland bloke. They call them miners, and they've never, probably never been inside a mine in their life. Um, Maybe they mean, like, you know, minor as in not an adult. Uh, well, when they, when they talk, you start to think that, but they mm. do look like adults. They do look like adults. Just the mind that hasn't quite got there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of minds, we'll get Ken Mooney's very shortly. Let's have a break. All right. Um, This track is Faithless with Mass Destruction. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR 855 AM and the time is 9.17. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR 855 AM and the time is 9.21, four minutes since I last said the time. And we have on the line Ken Mooney. Yeah, and the other clock says 9.22, by the way, but somewhere in there. And um, Ken Mooney on the line. Ken, um, I know last night's uh, decision would have helped your health because you've had a pretty rotten cold the last few days. But uh, um, we last time we spoke to you, you were fighting a, a um, plan by the unelected commissioners of Brimbank because the council was sacked a few years ago and they've still got commissioners there, uh, to flog off pockets of, or a pocket, but perhaps in the future, more pockets of public parkland that's been around sunshine for a long time. What happened last night? Well, it was a great victory. Um, we, uh, they, the, the, the Independent Committee uh, uh, recommended to the um, Brimbank Council, or they're not a Brimbank dictatorship, I should say, um, they uh, recommend that they rescind their resolution and support the residents and, um, and the small parks, uh, the small park that... Uh, it's given over to the, to the community, and the community and the um, and the dictatorship um, form the park together. And, um, uh, it may just be defamation to say dictatorship. Do you have um, very solid solid grounds you can tell us for using this term? 
Well, the thing is that they weren't elected. They were appointed by... Uh, they, were, they, were, they were sacked by um, a Labor government, the mm-hmm. first ones. When the Liberals got in, they sacked the Labor Party-appointed people, who weren't too bad, and uh, uh, they put in their own people, and these people have only just... They were going to sell off 28 parks. Without consultation? Down, that's right, and it went down to one. There you go. And uh, we got... We got over 700 submissions in opposing them selling it off. And we stood our ground, and the community is absolutely fantastic. It stood together and we won. What's wrong with selling these parks, though? Well, they're owned by the community. They're owned by the ratepayers, aren't they? We need more space for children to play in. And um, one of the... One of, there's a park... They tried to say there's, there's a park Near there, it's along the Collaroy Creek, but it's along the Collaroy Creek. And uh, you can't leave children there to play. And of a weekend, the park set good. It was done by the council, uh, not the dictatorship. Um, the park set good that everyone else in Melbourne comes there and we can't, we, we can't get in there because it's that good. You know, uh, the residents. And you're planning, I mean... You were planning as part of the campaign, but now that you've won, you're still planning, are you not, to do some activities down there to perhaps now celebrate the victory? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What we're going to do, we're going to um, to, uh, to have a a picnic now and we'll invite the residents. We'll invite um, gardening, uh, gardening, um, the Freesia Gardening. The Sunday morning gardening people, yeah. Yes, and... um, we're going to we're going to do the park ourselves. Uh, and That's what, exciting. Plant indigenous stuff there, etc. We're going to plant. We're going to go down. There's a place. There's an uh, indigenous um, uh, nursery in mm. Newport. So just to clarify, this by, we mean by indigenous to that area, don't we? Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yes, of course. We, we yes, yes. And it's only only, only grows. It's a, they've only got what grew in the western suburbs, and you can get what grew in the exact spot that. Um, was there. So that's that's what we're going to do, and we're going to have a, a community picnic to celebrate our victory, and let them. If they, I hope they don't try to sell off any other parks. But people out there, this is this isn't the only suburb. They tried it in Dandenong. They're trying it in Geelong, and they won in Dandenong, and we've won here. So. The, the um, picnic and the planting sounds great. How can people get involved? Well, don't worry. I'll let everybody know. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm sure you um, will, Ken. I'm sure you to will. To be announced. <laughs> I certainly will. Uh, what did they? What was their reasoning last night for saying it shouldn't go ahead? Well, I just... They, look, our, our, when we went to the hearing, um, there was eight of us that spoke. None of us repeated, repeated ourselves. There was a 40 paid submission put in that went from land flooding it went we went back about 50 years and uh, and and told them why they couldn't do what they were doing and the independent hearing said that we were very professional in what we didn't even last night they congratulated us on our professionalism um and 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 what and in what in how we did it and uh so um, the people that have just taken over, the young people, and, and they're very, very good. Um, I resigned as president after 40 years of Sunshine Action Group, and 
These young people are they're fantastic. Mm. So Ex- there's a future. Expressing your up. expressing your great belief in political rotation, Ken. <laughs> um. Well, well. <laughs> People kept on voting for me. <laughs> and by the way, if you didn't repeat yourself, it'd be a first. But anyway, um, I've never repeat, 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 repeat. Just before we go, just we have, we haven't actually mentioned exactly where it is. Where where in Sunshine is this? Little... West Sunshine. It's in Macubri Avenue. And by the way, can I just say to Corey, mm-hmm. you need a medal as big as a frying pan. Three C R should give it to you to put up with Kevin Ealy for at least an hour. Do you hear that, Three C R? Come the awards night, you need to make a giant medal that says "Putting Up with Kevin Healy." That's right. Yes, I mightn't say another word. I mean, I'm shattered. I'm a touch shattered, and I must tell you, all that, all that. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? No mention of how Kevin Healy feels about all that. <laughs> Maybe they're going to have to have a whole category of that because you know, there's also the management have to put up with him and. No, they don't. They just, I know, they throw him out. They give him that look and he goes. <laughs> Speaking of throwing out, I'm going to throw you out now. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> we've got to move on to Dave Sweetie. But look, thanks for that, Kevin. Anyway, yeah, and seriously, there to win, you don't fight, you lose. Seriously, fight. congratulations Thank on the you. campaign. Well done. And we will get information when you're going to have that picnic and tell people to get along. You certainly will. Okay. Thank thanks, you. Ken. Bye. Radio. Okay, Ken Mooney there, who's a long-term activist, 40 years in that job and uh, 40 years as president of that, and uh, then he politically rotated himself. (laughs) (laughs) All right. While we find Dave Sweeney, we're going to go to a track. This is Pear in the Awkward awkward Orchestra with What We Are. You're listening to City Limits on 3CR, 8.55 a.m., and that was Pear in the Awkward Orchestra with What We Are. And... We're going to talk to Dave Sweeney very soon about um, MacArthur Mine, MacArthur River Mine. Kevin just tried to put on a second pair of glasses. It was hilarious. I'm sorry that this isn't TV. Anyway, let's make that announcement. Um, and this is, a, um, this is an interview I did about six months ago with Uncle Jackie Green, who's a Garawa man, um, about this mine and the effect it's had on local mob and the general community. Welcome to the show. Um, can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, um, my name is Jack Green, and I'm one of the senior elders in Borolulu. What mob is that, Borolulu? Well, we've got four clan groups. The first one is Gurangi people. That's where the mine site is. And the second one is um, Garawa people. That lies along this river. And then there was a wharfist um, bingbong. That's where Yanula people comes in, and also Mara people comes in there as well on the western side, along the Gulf. So can you just start off by saying, what does your land mean to you? I'm a Garo person, really, but I'm also um, part of um, Gurangi as well. And I'm also um, part of related to Yanula people. And what my land is sort of um, sort of east of uh, Borolula. That's my proper tribal land. But we also live, and my kids grew up in Borolulu from kids. And this land ran here, it all lies on our song line. We have all um, different song line on this area, so we're all related through this land. And it's very important. And that river, where it's come down through um, MacArthur, is part of the rainbow snake. And it's very important to our song lines. And uh, we feel no good because... When they dug up all that area, 
that set up like a volcano. We call it man-made volcano. Well, that's what I call it. I don't care what the other people calls it. And, you know, in fact, that's really bad. I mean, we still heard today a lot of old people that are fighting against this. They all passed away. And and, and we're still going to carry on our rights so we can maybe try and get it, if they can fix it up, to try and stop the smoke and try and stop the mineral getting in the water, lead, to have fish in that, because the government worrying about um, swordfish, Aboriginal people of this Gulf worrying about turtle, dugong, brim, um, all type of fish that lives in the water, catfish. Like, I mean, Aboriginal people hardly wasted. We eat everything in that water, what's in that water. What did it mean for the um, Rainbow Serpent Songline when they diverted the river? Well, when they cut that main river, that's where the rainbow lied across there, according to our songline. All of um, songline that used to come from north of um, the mine site goes back into where it lied, where they divert that river. We tried to fight it in the court. We won it, and the, the um, court you know, overrides it the next day to give the company to go ahead on it and we heard from that time on it was no good to us because we still sing song today that lies on that river. So what kind of native title or land rights do you have over the land in and around Boralula? We have um, Aboriginal land that's been given back to us. We call it our land trust and now um, we also have native title on pastoral property that surround this area that give us right to um, give us right to negotiate if anyone wants to do anything. So it doesn't give us right to claim the area, but it gives us right to negotiate more to try and protect some of our sites and songline. But uh, does it give you the right to veto the mine? Not not inside the mine side now. So when the uh, MacArthur River Zinc Mine was expanded in 2007, um, you referred to this before, um, they didn't pass the environmental approvals. Um, can you tell, me, tell us like the whole story of how you took them to the High Court and that? Well, the, the main thing, we, we took them to court because that old, they were cutting that old rainbow in half. And that, we didn't want that water to um, river to be diverted. And because it, it's meant a lot to us. He's on our songline, and there's a lot of, um, like, it was sort of a hunting ground, and it was right close to an old station used to be there one time. Aboriginal people used to hunt all over there, you know. And when they um, done that, they hit us a lot, you know. Yeah, but um, the, su- the Supreme Court said that um, they stopped the mine. When we went to court that time, the, the company knew about it. The company knew that we was taking them to court, but they were still diverting that river anyhow because when the court was started, they already had the river diverted. And then the um, Northern Territory government changed the laws? Yeah, they changed the law overnight. Yeah. One of the problems with uh, the expansion of that mine is that it didn't pass its initial environmental approvals, even under white law. And um, now it's uh, polluting the environment. Can you tell us about that? Well, at that um, time, because we wasn't told about it properly, you know, 
But if he didn't pass, I think the the money company done the wrong thing by um, both party. I mean, by um, white people side of story and also an Aboriginal side of um thing, they should have done the right thing. They should have um before they done anything like that, they should have at least let us know properly. And can you tell us about the um, man-made volcano? Well, that's what I call it. I don't know what the rest of them call them, but I call it is a man-made volcano. That's kind of, um, it's been um, building up. We knew at that time, once you start digging that um, sacred sites area, it's going to cause this sort of problem. It's going to bring a lot of problems to to that land up there, and it's going to factor from MacArthur right through to Abingbong. And um, one day done that, we knew that time there's a problem because, and now today the smoke is sort of still coming up there, put a clay over on top of it to try and stop that. But it was still coming up, so they got a new idea. They um, sort of spread it out a bit to try and cool it down. But um, we're still worried, you know. Can you tell us about the new plans to mine coal seam gas in your area? Well, um, we want um, because we can't like we can't stop them um, mining. That's already um, out there drilling everywhere under the um, native title act. But we can always ask them to we we can negotiate some sort of deal towards them on um, on parcel land. And most of this land that ran Macarthur, Tawala, and Bingbong, they're all under um, Glencore anyhow. You know, they still own the pasture land as well. So is the lease that inside. So, um, I mean, what's going to happen if they're drilling anywhere and they're going to um, cause a fraction there somewhere and then the water, it'll still get into the mainstream of the line that runs down through Gulf. Everyone's going to be affected. We'll have a gas in it. So we're still worried about that. But there's nothing much we can do. We can, anything we can protect them, stop near a sacred site, we can say no. But beside the sacred site, we can't um, stop them. They still can drill every way. Even so, we don't like it. But it still goes ahead. Because the, uh, the company have went through the government parliament house and got their approval from there. So... It's still sort of override all Aboriginal people of Australia. So, given that playing by the rules of the Australian government just hasn't worked for you, what measures will you take to protect your land this time around? Is there anything? Well, we want to see if we can try and stop this um, fracking because it's going to suck the water on pastoral land, on Aboriginal land. Like, I mean, there must be... um, the pastors worry about it too because they they um, drinking water out of the um, these bore waters, you know. And we're gonna wonder it's gonna worry too because sometimes there's a spring underneath, you know, a spring all over the Gulf, and it might start coming up through there, and that's the way we worried about it because we usually get our water from the spring as well. But what what do you think makes them feel like doing that's okay? I don't know. I can only say one thing. Today, people are worrying about money, money, money. Money important to government. Money important to the mining company. You know, 
the money is actually not important. We've, we've been surviving, surviving along all this Gulf area and around Barclay region. Um, station used to run really good. People used to live really well, happy. But today, this sort of money talks now. They don't seem to worry about the land. That's important to all people, Aboriginal and white. So you, um, the land's been negatively affected, and that obviously affects you, but um, has any of the money flowed into your community? Uh, you're listening to City Limits on 3CR 855 AM, and that was um, Uncle Jackie Green, from, he's a Garawa man, from um, up near the MacArthur River Mine. We have on the line... Uh, Dave Sweeney. How's it going, Dave? Yeah, very good. Really well. And Dave is from Friends of the Earth, in case you no, didn't no, know. No, no, Australian Conservation Foundation. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, via that path. Via that path. Yeah. Via 3CR at one stage, it, too. Indeed, then. indeed. And very happily so. Very, very uh, <laughs> happily so. Good morning to you, too, Ken. Morning, Dave. So did you, did you hear any of that um, interview? No, I, I just caught the tail end about how um, the, the, the money's not important, the concern over the country is. Mm. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's a message that I, I work with Australian Conservation Foundation on, on, on mining issues, predominantly uranium, and we hear that story um, repeated and replicated across so much of the country. Um, and, um, and the other part of that coin... Uh, on one hand, you've got a real sense of responsibility and a real sense of thinking long from traditional owners. And uh, often on the other side of the coin, you've got this really um, uh, get in there, rip and ship and run uh, attitude from uh, miners. Uh, we see it predominantly in the uranium sector, but it's everywhere. And um, we're, we're very uh, been watching this, uh, this one with Glencore at MacArthur River. And, you know, the, the news that has been increasingly coming out about the corner cutting, about the environmental impacts, about the, the leaching of heavy metals and waste from the site into the wider environment is really uh, deeply concerning. And we strongly support the call that's been made by the Environment Centre of the Northern Territory for the Northern Territory Government to withdraw Glencore's authority to mine at MacArthur River and to actually get serious about the capacity and the on-ground delivery of clean-up and rehabilitation work because there's a real problem there. Dave, in fact, um, in the last week or two, a petition of 3,000 signatures was presented to the NT Government to close it all together. Mm, and uh, that's right. And, you know, in the Territory, that's a lot. And there's a lot of people on that list Kevin, that um, are the ones that the company would say, you know, you are beneficiaries of development in the region, etc., etc. I recently also had the, um, the, you know, considerable pleasure and the opportunity to sit down with um, a group of, of the traditional owners um, and talk about their concerns. And it was a really powerful story of just this systematic... They've been calling for attention, for action for years, and there was this consistent um, uh, sidestepping and sidelining of their concerns and now it's reached a point where it's just really obvious and even uh, quite uh, quite sort of under-resourced or quite politically uh, uh, cowardly um, uh, agencies in the Northern Territory and beyond and players are saying, look, this is a mess. Um, Uncle Jackie was talking about something he called a man-made volcano, which was the overburden which spontaneously combusted, um, leaf, uh, uh, releasing sulphur dioxide. Um, did they ever put that fire out? 
Now, the fire, the, the, the fire has been uh, at different strengths continuing. It, it's an extraordinary thing. It's, it's, it's an oxidisation thing leads to combustion and um, it, there's just this smoking mountain, like a sort of, um, you know, the, 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 the Koyana Squatsi horror images of a smoking rubbish mountain in a developing nation in a third world mega city outskirts it's sort of like that but it's it's uh it's overburden and waste rock from this mining operation and it is there's high levels of sulfur it drifts over communities and over the place and it has been at different stages extremely bad um uh and the response from the authorities one of the really distressing things is the response from the authorities has been um really uh too slow too little you know it's been oh well the smoke will dissipate when the wind changes you know, and it's been like almost an acceptance that this is, uh, what, you know, the price of progress or what we have to pay, you know, for to have the mining operation. There, there's a clear set and a consistent set of departures from best practice. That's a very generous way to put it. A clear and consistent set of departures from best practice at this mine site. The, there is a demonstrable impact in air quality and water quality. There is um, a failure in governance and operations and there's a failure in overview and regulation and um, you know the, there's been cattle deaths people can't run cows it's been going on and on people are concerned about impacts of bush tucker their quality of life it's uh, there was a, a statement from um, in, NT environmentalists and, and Aboriginal people the other day and it just said enough is enough MacArthur River mine must be closed and that's um, you know that's a view that we uh, um, are strongly supportive of. Can we talk about um, the law? So the MacArthur River um, Project almost operates out, outside the law. The um, MacArthur River Project Agreement Ratification Act, um, which came in in 2007, um, ratifies uh, the project to, quote, despite any law to the contrary, and um, it authorises mining activity of any kind. Is this unusual legislation? It's extraordinary legislation, but sadly it's not that unusual. Um, this particular case, it was a, a Labor government response to the fact that uh, practices um, at MacArthur River were uh, being conducted in an unlawful way. So rather than change business or shut business, review business, what, what the government, uh, the Territory government did at the time was uh, to um, put through legislation that exempted business. Um, there is a model of that in many places. There's things called the state, often with the name of State Agreement Act or, or uh, Major Project Act. And uh, a major project is given exemption from a whole range of um, obligations, a whole range of, of, of obligations under the law. And um, you know, one of the one of the cases that we are most familiar with with that is in South Australia, the, where the world's biggest uranium deposit is being mined by the world's biggest mining company, BHP Billiton's Olympic Dam mine. And there's a there's a act called the Roxby Indenture Act which excludes, deliberately excludes um, BHP from having to comply with a whole range of state legislation, the Environmental Protection Act, the Water Resources Act, the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Protection Act, all this raft of really reasonable checks and balances and protections are exempt. So they effectively run uh, their own fiefdom. And, and uh, disturbingly, that happens quite often in Australian mining context, particularly in remote Australia. 
There'd be a few people in our prisons who'd like to see themselves made retrospectively legal, wouldn't there? Um, but just, just, yeah, I'd just, like this just threw that one in. But uh, Despite any law to the contrary yeah. to... A- uh, Dave, um, what hope do you give of the thing being stopped with the petition and all the action that's going on? Yeah, look, I think it's, it's um, you know, I, you know, I suppose the short answer is I, I reside in Preston and live in Hope, Kevin. <laughs> um, I, I'm not wide-eyed about this. I, I, I've, I've got, um, you know, I, I think there's there's a hard road ahead. There's institutional bias here. There's government linkages and all sorts of stuff. There's still this obsession that extractives is the way to generate employment in regional Australia, and yet the mining sector's real on-the-ground contribution. It's export dollar generation contribution is really significant. It's on-the-ground employment contribution. Numerically, it's not that much. And for Aboriginal people in particular, it's even less. Um, So there's a lot of problems to, to closing this down, but I think there is a strength in the traditional owner's view and a moral authority that the government and company lack. There is a growing and documented litany of deficiency and failure at this mine. And I do think that we can continue to surround this mine and squeeze it and improve it or reduce it. And there's, there's clear examples of this. You know, like we look at what, what's just happening not too far away in Arnhem Land in Kakadu, where uh, um, after 30 years of uranium mining, Rio Tinto, after considerable pressure and long pressure from traditional owners and environment groups and others, has just instructed its its subsidiary uh, company, Energy Resources of Australia, that operates the range of uranium mining in Kakadu. It's just said, look, um, don't dig anymore. We'll offer you, uh, we will cover your unfunded rehabilitation liabilities. We will pay for you to clean up with one condition, and that condition is you don't dig any more uranium. Now, we see that as a really positive sign where sustained community, traditional owner, pressure, uh, public interest, real concern has made a real difference, and, and we would see and hope and work for that to happen here. Yeah, before we move on, from, well, I want to move on to uranium, but any more on that, Corey, before we move on, on that issue? Um, well, I was interested in, in 2013, the Independent Monitor Environmental Performance Annual Report, um, which was the first uh, non-government report um, into this mine. Before that, it was uh, 20 years of government geologists. So they found that, in fact, the government geologists had got it wrong, and there wasn't uh, 30%... Um, in the overburden, you know, the waste rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the government had said that about 30% of that was acid forming, but in fact they, um, this new report said that it was more like 50%. Mm. Um, that seems like quite a big difference. Does that suggest corruption to you? It suggests, uh, well, you, it, there's a number of things that could suggest corruption. So it could suggest that. It could suggest, um, you know, um, uh, a, like inept. It could suggest a different uh, testing or grading methodology. There could be a methodological reason. There could be a corrupt or dodgy reason. There could be a reason that just the the people doing it are ill-equipped, under-resourced or not good enough. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it is a level of difference. It's nearly double, as you said. It's nearly double. And that's a a margin of error that is unacceptable in such a long-term impact and should automatically trigger a fair income, okay, let's put all the existing reports aside, let's start from scratch, let's get out there and have a fair income look at what's going on at that mine, what the processes are and what the impacts are. And the, the fact that that hasn't happened 
to the degree, anywhere near the degree that's needed, is you know it's, it's a real testament of, of failure to that style of approach and regulation. Look, there's one other thing, if I could just chuck in. You mentioned before about uh, retrospective legality. Um, uh, Kevin, and you're absolutely right. Uh, but there's, it it's also goes the other way too, whereas um, uh, future acts and future uh, positions are, are prevented. And, and one example in relation to that is the long-standing uh, search for a radioactive waste site in Australia and the enabling legislation, the piece of law that makes it possible for Canberra to advance a, a remote or regional site for radioactive waste in Australia provides this amazing, um, not only get out of jail, but knock down the bricks and, and, and build a path in your backyard card. It, it says that the Commonwealth shall not be constrained by any existing or future state, territory, Commonwealth law. So it's just this enormous carte blanche for this long-lived and very dangerous material. And this sort of approach of using your political numbers to, to set up um, a, a framework to advance either a really sectional corporate interest or a really sectional political interest or political expediency is an increasing and very dangerous trend. Mm. And on that on that subject, yesterday a parliamentary inquiry into selling uranium to India came out and said we shouldn't at the moment with certain with certain clauses attached to that. But uh, given it was a, a government controlled committee, was that a surprise? Yeah, look, it was a surprise, and and um, as you can imagine, uh, we. Uh, presented to that committee, we we gave considerable evidence and watched it closely, and um, we obviously read with great interest and detail the report as soon as it was out. And it's a strong report. It's a surprisingly strong report, as you say. It is a government control committee, and it is very clear. We've had the prime minister there waving the atomic flag all around India. We've had Julie Bishop doing the same, the foreign minister. So at the highest levels of the Australian government, there is strong political support to sell Australian uranium to India. So the committee could have been in no doubt of the political wind and the political desire. And yet still within that framework, they have um, stepped up in, in many ways, in a good part, to their responsibility to actually review treaty actions, which is what that Joint Standing Committee on Treaty does. It, re it reviews treaty actions to see if they are in Australia's national interest. And this committee has done this, and it said really clearly that Australian uranium cannot and must not be sold to India. It said, while we agree with it, we, we want to sell uranium to India, we support it, we think it's good. It said, given that, Australian uranium cannot and must not be sold to India until a set of essential preconditions are realised. Now, those preconditions, as you flag, Kevin, they're pretty serious. It's, the, it's effectively the complete separation of the Indian military and civil nuclear cycles, um, international review of the adequacy of India's uh, safety and regulatory regimes, the establishment of a new and independent by law nuclear regulator in India, and on it goes. Like, they're significant things. They're not light and easy, let's just uh, have a little addendum paragraph to the agreement and Robert's your radioactive relative. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's a fair income roadblock if the government takes it seriously. And now the choice is for the government. Are they going to be uh, put priority onto parliamentary process, Australia's national interest, evidence, 
or are they just going to do that thing of fast-tracking the underperforming uranium industry and banging the drum in spite of some very serious danger signs being raised by their own people? Well, it's been great having you on the show again, Dave. We've run out of time. Yeah, pity about that. I love talking with you, Mob, and it's very, very uh, welcome to have the opportunity. Thanks very much. Dave, okay, we'll get you back again shortly. Don't worry. Um, All right, Dave Sweeney there from the Australian Conservation Foundation, and uh, he's there. Well, he said he's their resources person, but he mostly speaks on uranium, doesn't he? But he's also obviously done a lot of work on MacArthur River. Mm. Well, um, you're listening to 3CR. Housing next week. Housing next week. Um, next week we'll have housing. That's right. We will. <laughs> well, that's, and we'll have Kevin and Corey again. Let's sum that one up. <laughs> on uh, City Limits. Um, what were we going to talk about on housing? We're hopefully going to talk about the... We've got Auntie Jenny from the block. Yes. We're not in, in Redfern. Oh, I haven't set it up a, yet. But... Oh, we will. I'm sure we will. Yeah. Um, but that is part of it. Plus our regular from the regular person from the Housing with the Aged Action Group will be in. And the week after, we're going to be looking at um, we're going to be looking at now. What's that? Oh, there's parkland. We did parkland today. There's a, there's an attempt to put a new school on parkland in Albert Park, believe it or not, because mm-hmm. they've sold off all the schools. Now there's enough kids to have another school, so they want to put it on a parkland. Big campaign against it in that part of the world. We'll talk to someone from that campaign next Wednesday week on this program. So thanks for listening. We're going to go out with the Giants of Science with Dead Sea. Thanks for downloading a three CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.